Boy, there's something about, ladies and gentlemen, when you know that it's all in the name of Jesus. That is the door. Hallelujah. Declare that name. I know the enemy wants to sort of degradate that name and try to make it something that, that we use in some sort of a deflammatory uh, measure. But when you learn to worship the name of Jesus, God's blessings and anointing will be upon you and your marriage and your home and your children. Amen. And God will bless you for that. Amen. We are so happy this morning to have Melissa Frost with us. Uh, Sister Melissa, uh, her parents came to uh, Florida and Cape Coral and started a church in the early 1990s. And uh, she uh, then went on to um, seminary and to uh, college. She received her master's in education from the University of Missouri. Uh, she has a general license with the United Pentecostal Church, and she is going to the city of Quebec City, which has over 900,000 people to start a church. There's no United Pentecostal Church in Quebec City, and uh, she minored in French when she was in college, so she speaks fluent French, and we believe that God is going to help her to raise up a great church in Quebec City. Amen. She's part of our Florida family. And so we are delighted on this Mission Sunday uh, to bring to you a young lady who has equipped herself, prepared herself, and is doing the work of a missionary going into, let me tell you something, we have a mission field right here in North America, ladies and gentlemen. And so we believe in global missions. It's a part of the fabric of our church. But I'm excited about young people going into these North American cities. She's going as a metro missionary to target this inner city and believing that God will help them to raise a church in Quebec City. We're delighted to have her in Palm Bay, Florida today. Would you make Reverend Melissa Frost welcome at the First Pentecostal Church? Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. I'm excited to be here. Thank you very much to Pastor and Bishop Myers for allowing me to be here and their wives. So nice to um, be in your midst in Palm Bay. Amen. Amen. I believe God has great things in store for us today. I believe he's already done some great things. Amen. He does great things when we worship, when we praise, when we attract his attention with a little bit of anointed, uh, glorious worship. I want to share a few things with you, uh, particularly about the missions program that I represent. And then I do have a word that I believe God has uh, laid on my heart for this moment, for this season. And um, I want to share that with you as well. Does that sound like a good plan? All right. So let's get started. I want to talk to you about Metro Missions. Um, it, the, I have a presentation to share with you. Sometimes presentations work and sometimes they don't, but I'm always going to talk anyway. I was telling someone earlier, technology is great when it works. Um, I am part of a specifically targeted program for metropolitan missions. How many of you have ever lived in an urban environment, a city? Tightly packed, you're in an apartment house, you're in a condo, you're in something that's uh, in a neighborhood of maybe four to six block radius. Um, and you can go to the grocery store and you can go to work and you can go to the post office, you can take your kids to school, all in that four to six block radius. And so you may not leave your neighborhood, 
for weeks and weeks and weeks. Because to leave that, you'd have to get on a bus or take a train or take public transportation. And uh, in, in a city, that's a great thing that you don't have to leave your four to six block radius unless you want to go to church. Because churches have largely abandoned the city. The reality is that if you live in that neighborhood environment and you can do everything in four to six blocks, if you want to go to church, you've got to get on a bus to take a train to get on another bus and invest maybe three hours of your time round trip just in transportation, just to get to a church in the suburbs. And you would do that because you know Jesus. You've met him. You understand that connecting to a community of faith is going to change your family and your future. But if you had never met him, if the only time that you ever heard the name of Jesus was when it was being taken in vain, if the only representation of Pentecostalism you had ever seen came from the media, would you invest three hours round trip to go to a church that as far as you know may or may not be able to help you? You wouldn't. I wouldn't. If we don't take this gospel to them, they're not coming to us. North American cities are a mission field. I represent a city that's larger than 69 countries of the world where we already have missionaries. Over nine, almost 900,000 people are in my city waiting for the gospel. I'm privileged, very privileged to go. If you would go forward one slide, I am a fully appointed full-time Metro missionary. Um, there are multiple ways that you can serve in the Metro Missions program, full-time, part-time, as a career church planter, as an intercultural missionary. All of these are options of how you can reach the lost. This is the program that God selected for me to reach the city that he has called me to, and I'm grateful to be part of our North American Missions Division. If you go forward, I want to introduce you to my city. Um, and I'm sorry, let's skip too, too forward. I got ahead of myself. Quebec City is an incredible place. How many of you have been there? Anybody? It's a beautiful city. It's uh, uh, 16th, 17th century French architecture. Um, if you always wanted to go to France but don't want the eight-hour flight, Quebec City is the next best thing. It's a beautiful place. And it was founded in 1608, makes it the eighth oldest city in North America. Um, and if you, if you think about the placement of the city, it's right above the, the border of Maine and New Hampshire. It sits at the mouth of the St. Lawrence River. And historically, it was a highly contested area. So every country that was settling this new world was trying to possess these major port cities like Quebec. When the English finally won the battle, they built a wall around the city. It's the last remaining walled city north of Mexico, and that probably doesn't mean very much to you. But it means a lot to me, because I know the promises of walled cities in Scripture. Cities like Jericho, where God said, you know, I think the enemy's had this long enough. It's time for the people of God to possess it. And so he created a plan and a strategy and a way for his people to possess that land. I think the enemy has had Quebec City long enough.
grateful that we get to go in and possess the land. If you go to the next slide, it's 95% French speaking, and I know I'm going to get a response in this audience. Est-ce qu'il y a quelqu'un autre qui parle français ici? Oui, oui. Okay, so the deal is you can't tell anybody when I make a mistake. That's the, that's the goal. It is 95% French speaking. Uh, I do speak quite a bit of French. I took French in high school. I minored in French in college. I think when I first started out, I said I took uh, eight years of French in high school. Um, it didn't take me eight years to graduate from high school. I took four years in high school and four years in college and uh, had a great time learning the French language uh, and finally have an opportunity to use it. 90% uh, of these folks identify themselves as Roman Catholic. So who here grew up Catholic or you're Catholic and you're visiting today? Anybody? There are some phenomenal people in Catholic churches hungry for a relationship with God, wanting to do all they can do to connect with him. And so honestly, very honestly, if 90% of a city were being reached with the word of God, I am not sure we should send a missionary. But that's not what this means. This means that 90% check a box on the census saying somewhere in the past, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, someone was affiliated with the Catholic Church. Maybe they were baptized into the church, but they never connected with a faith or a God. It's cultural Catholicism. And so I want to be very clear. I'm not going to steal a whole bunch of people from the Catholic Church. It's not my goal. My goal is to go and introduce people who've never met Jesus to the God they've only heard about. Our opportunity is to reach the lost, whatever label they claim, to reach the lost. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, just means... There's a city that pays for the up, or there's an organization that pays for the upkeep of the city. It's a beautiful place. It is the capital of the province of Quebec. In, fa in fact, it's the first capital of the whole uh, Federation of Canada prior to uh, 1867. So um, it, it still calls itself La Capitale. I'm not sure other Canadians like that, but calls itself the capital. A lot of people have asked me why. Why God would take a woman from Midwest U.S. and send her across the border to reach a people that I don't even, I, I, it's not my language, it's not my home. And when I found out that Quebec had the fifth highest snowfall in North America, I started asking why. And so I started looking at the numbers, trying to figure out what God was doing. And frankly, I could have stayed in Illinois and planted a church. That's my home district. That's where I uh, live. Even though I graduated high school in Cape Coral, Florida, I've lived in Illinois for the last almost 20 years. So with that, looking at our population, we've got 12.8 million people. We've got 182 United Pentecostal churches and other organizations who are doing a great work. I'm not claiming to have a corner on the market when it comes to the truth. Just looking at the UPC, 182. That's one church for every 70,769 people. We have work to do in Illinois. I could have planted a church there, but then I started looking at Quebec. If you go to the next slide, Quebec has 8 million people. We have seven churches and about 13 daughter works and preaching points. That is one church for every 409,000 people. 
and that's crazy. It gets crazier when you look at the next slide. Quebec City has almost 900, and we don't have a United Pentecostal Church yet. This has been a difficult city to win. This is the fourth church plant in 30 years. But to everything, there is a season. And the people who've gone before have laid an incredible foundation for us to continue to build on. They have broken things in the spirit, and God is moving forward in a way that we've never seen in the city. So I am pleased to tell you that this statistic is a temporary situation because God is doing something in the city of Quebec. If you go to the next slide, I'd like you to meet the folks that we are currently working with. The young lady that has her head bowed and her hands raised is Miss Sophie Omari. Sophie has been an incredible asset to the church in Quebec City. Um, she moved into the city to help us plant a church. And that in and of itself is not unique until you consider that she was just filled with the Holy Ghost, hadn't been uh, in church at all prior to that, was filled with the Holy Ghost over uh, a little less than three years ago. She's been a Bible college student for two years through Purpose Institute. She currently teaches five Bible studies herself because she is intent on winning her city to Christ. And she knows that she was the only representative in that city for a long time. She felt the burden of 900,000 resting on her shoulders. So when she was out in the community, she just began to talk about uh, the things of the faith. That's what happens. If God's in you, he comes out in conversation. I said, if God is in you and you're out in the community, he just comes out in your conversation. And so she began to talk about the things of God, and her hairdresser was talking about her faith experience. It turns out that Lorraine and her husband, Pascal, had repented of their sins and been baptized in Jesus' name, been filled with the Holy Ghost in Cameroon, Africa, before they immigrated to Quebec. Now, isn't that awesome? Until you think about the fact that because Lorraine and Pascal could not find a church that preached the experience they'd already had, they spent months on their face in their living room every Sunday praying to find the people of the name. I am crazy enough to believe there shouldn't be a place on this earth where that should be true, where we can't find each other. We need a church in Quebec City. And so the next slide shows you our, our mission is very simple, to plant and grow a community of holy, discipled, apostolic believers just like you're building here, just like you're building in your multi -camp, multiple campuses. A community of holy, discipled, apostolic believers can still turn their cities upside down or right side up, depending on how you choose to look at that. Great impact. If you go to the next slide, I am working with some folks who are already on the ground, uh, Scott and Leanne Grant are career church planters through the Metro Missions program. Uh, they are working currently in Quebec City every other week with services. That's been stepped up it, for the last two years. It's been every, uh, every other, or, I'm sorry, every month, and now it's every other week, so we're excited. Uh, that was by popular demand, by the way. People kept asking, when are you going to be back? And we were happy to give them a, a fresh answer of every other week, uh, starting in August, so... The next slide tells you a little bit about me. Um, they told me that I have to do this, so I apologize. Um, 
if it's boring to you, it's boring to me. But so tw- uh, I've been in local church ministry for 20 years because my parents planted a church in our living room when I was 13. And so when kids started showing up when I was 15, uh, somebody handed me a teacher's manual and said, we don't care if you don't know what you're doing, just go keep these kids occupied. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I got drafted into children's ministry. How many of you have been voluntold to be in ministry? <laughs> That's how I started out. Here, go do this. And so I love kids, and I spent 20 years in children's ministry. I was a children's pastor for several years. And so I, I loved that part of ministry, and um, what I have found is that even when you don't know what you're doing, if I just give him everything I've got, he will bless it and break it and multiply it into more than I ever could have made out of it myself. That's the God we serve. I did study French for eight years, um, and uh, I think my parents were hoping I would take Spanish since we were in Florida, and that was a more prevalent language, but um, I was interested in all things French, French culture and French language and French food. If you've ever had a baguette, say amen. Um, And I thought I was just interested, but what I've learned is that God calls us into his will through a million tiny little decisions, like what language to take in school. And so if I will align my life today, those big questions of tomorrow take care of themselves. He orders our steps. Amen. I do have a master's in uh, community counseling, education, and um, I've been licensed with the UPC since 2010. So the big question is, how can you help if you go to the next slide? Uh, I, I am not worried. Don't tell other missionaries that I said this. God does not need your money. He doesn't. See, he allows you and I to give to things like missions and our local church because it's not about your pocketbook. It's about your heart. And what God understands about us is that where we give ourselves, where we invest our time and our energy and our resources, that's where our heart moves into. We think we give to things we care about. God knows that we begin to care about the things that we give to. And so our giving always starts at the local church and can extend to over 80 missionaries around the world. Absolutely. But it's not about the money. God can print money faster than the U.S. Mint, and that's pretty fast. If he wanted to. He lets us invest so that our heart will be in his kingdom. Not worried about the money. He's taking care of that. I am coveting your prayers. And while I really welcome the prayer that says, God, help her not to freeze to death in 40 below weather. I, that's important. But... What I would really love is if you would get on your knees and start to ask God, would you just concentrate your presence in the streets of Quebec, Lord? Would you put a drawing presence of the Holy Ghost in the middle of a city that's been filled with darkness for so many years? God, would you make it so that whenever anybody walks down the street in Quebec, it doesn't matter where they're going to, that they would feel an atmosphere of the Holy Ghost begin to shift the darkness out and away from that city and begin to walk with them, draw them to you, Lord God, that you would draw them, draw their soul, draw their mind, draw their family, change lives, lead us to key people, oh God, who will help us break into the biggest parts of each neighborhood that we can 
could minister in communities across that city so that it's not just one people that we reach, but that we will reach every people who is represented in that place. God, that you would break open a wide revival, not only in Quebec City, but across the country of Canada, God, that this nation would be reached for your name, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And so if you would pray, they may never come here and bless this church. But one day, when you stand before Jesus, you will be able to say, I was part of the revival that Jesus created in Quebec City because I prayed. I want you to have that privilege. If you go forward two slides, brother. We are on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Metro Missions Quebec City. Uh, Metro Missions Quebec City is all one word. You can follow. Uh, right now it's just talking about deputation. Um, by mid-November, if the Lord wills, it'll be talking about Quebec because that's when I plan to be on site. In Jesus' name. If you would stand with me. Every time I give that presentation, it gets longer. <laughs> Mainly because I'm more and more hungry to see what God wants to do in Quebec. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. We'll start reading in verse 10. We're also going to go to John 14. 1 Kings chapter 8 and John 14. And while you're turning there, I just want to remind you that Jesus is still in our midst. He is a sovereign king. I had to look up that word one day. The Lord began to speak that into my spirit, that he is a sovereign king. And so I looked up sovereign. And what it really means is a sovereign ruler rules without interference. He rules without interference. And so when he comes to church with purpose, we need to step back and let him rule without interference. Jesus always comes to church on purpose. Did you come to church on purpose today? Yes. Amen. To seek him, to learn from him, to let him stretch us and stretch our understandings. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 10 starts, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. So that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Now this was a major day of celebration. A new place of residence had been built for the presence of God. The temple had been constructed in Jerusalem by Solomon under David's directions and, and his orders, his plans. And this was the dedication day of this grand place of worship. And so Solomon stands up and he talks about what just happened. He said, the Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I have surely built thee an house to dwell in. A settled place for thee to abide in forever. And flipping over to John 14 and verse 12. 
Jesus is addressing his disciples and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. I'd like to spend the next few moments speaking to you about the commission of greater things. The commission of greater things. Would you put your Bibles down and raise your hands with me and let's seek the anointing of God for this word. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Your word is already anointed. God, you are already in our midst. You have already made yourself manifest. Lord, I pray that you would open every heart, every mind, every spirit to receive from your word today. God, help me to speak with your anointing and your authority submitted to the leadership of this church. God, that you would have your sovereign way in every word that's spoken, in everything that is done from here on out, Lord Jesus, that you would minister to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. I love to read about how God reaches for people. If you think about the uh, relationship that God had with the people of Israel, he was reaching for relationship with them. Right. He's not a standoffish God. He, he wanted relationship with the people of Israel. And so he created a way when, when, and it's already been referenced, I think, by Bishop today, when Moses led the people of Israel uh, out of Egypt, God ordained a, a methodology, a way that people could approach him. And he ordained a place called a tabernacle, just a tent of meeting, a, a, a pretty humble looking place from the outside. It was a tent covered in badger skins and it had three different areas of worship. It had multiple pieces of furniture that sort of culminated in this most inner place where the Ark of the Covenant, or this, this box that was covered in beautiful gold sculpture, resided. That sculpture, that box, was topped with two angels. And in the middle of those angels' wings, God concentrated a portion of his presence. The Shekinah glory was visible in that place and so it had to be covered it had to be shrouded by beautiful red and blue and purple curtains but none of that beauty showed through to the outside it was covered in animal skins it was a simple mobile tent from the outside and so if we fast forward from that place to david's time now david is a king in israel and he lives in a beautiful palace, and his, he, he stands one day and says, I live in a house of cedar. But God, his presence still dwells in a tent. And this inequity started to eat at him. He had a great desire to build a house that would match the grandeur of the Lord in his mind. And so God said, you know, I admire this desire in you, David, but you're not the one to build it. You've, you've been to war too many times. You're a bloody man. You can't, you cannot do this, but I'm going to give you the plan, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to gather all the materials together, and your son will build the temple. And that's the way it happened. Solomon, when David received that promise, Solomon hadn't even been born yet. But God raised up a man of great wisdom, 
who could take the plan that God had given David and translate it into reality. And so Solomon acquires this great team of people to assist him in this process. They build a beautiful edifice. It was cedar walls overlaid in gold with uh, carvings of cherubims and almond blossoms and palm trees. And it's a beautiful place. It's beautiful. And he stands up on dedication day. And he says, I've improved this house for you. He looks at the furniture. Every piece of furniture was made bigger and larger and more beautiful, except the Ark of the Covenant. That remained the same. And he stands and says, I've created a house where you will always dwell. Solomon, for all his great wisdom, thought that he had built the best possible house for God. Because what he could not imagine was that God's ideal had nothing to do with gold. The ideal temple for the presence of God is not a building. God's ideal was to dwell in a temple made without human hands. To dwell in the hearts of men and women and children who would worship him while he is resident in them. That was God's design. And so Solomon stands on this dedication day and he says, I've built the best possible house. And even though it was bigger and better and badder and blingier, it was no different. Nothing changed about the way they accessed God. There was no more closeness than what they'd had with the tabernacle. There was no more intimacy. There was no more uh, uh, change to the relationship. It was as it had always been. It was simply more of the same. Beautiful, but no different. Fast forward a little bit. We'll go to the time of the prophets. See, when kings started to wander away from the plan of God, God raised up great prophets who would represent him to the people. And the voice of God that came through them was respected for most of the time. Not bad for later on, but Elijah stood in a time where people respected what he had to say. Maybe not the leadership, but there was fear of Elijah. He was a man of power and authority. Spiritual insight. He had the ability to call down fire from heaven. Not just once. Multiple times. He saw things change when he prayed. He had great anointing on his life. And so it's no wonder that other prophets looked at him and said, wow. That's what we all want to be. And so Elijah, knowing that eventually his ministry would transition to someone else, has this protege, this mentee that he is shaping. And Elisha is coming behind Elijah and he's pouring water on his hands. He's trying to learn the ministry while he serves the prophets. And so 
we find him in 2 Kings chapter 2. Elisha is following hard after Elijah because he knows that there's a change coming. He knows Elijah's about to be translated out. He has seen the works of Elijah. He knows about the seven notable miracles that Elijah had accomplished through the power of God. Oh, there were many words of prophecy and, and other uh, insightful things that happened, but the, the miracles, if we count those, there's, there's seven. And so when Elijah's getting ready to be translated, to be carried away by the chariot of fire, to be taken from this life without passing through death, he stands in verse 9, 2 Kings 2, 9, and says to Elisha, I, I want to know how I can help you. Ask what I shall do for thee. Why are you still hanging around me? What is it that you really want? And Elisha looks at him and says, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And even Elijah, with his great power, steps back and says, Thou hast asked a hard thing. But if you see me when I go, you'll get exactly what you asked for. If you don't stick around and finish this off to the very end, it won't be what you've asked for. But if you see me when I go, it will be unto you. I have always admired Elisha for making this request. What great desire to be used of God. This is a good request. It is a powerful request. And so when Elijah is caught away by this chariot of fire that swoops down from the sky and takes him out of this earth, the mantle of the old prophet drops to the ground and Elisha snatches it up. He walks back to the river that Elijah had just parted and he says to the mantle, where is the God of Elijah? Where's the manifestation of the Spirit that I just prayed to be put upon me? And he smacks the river Jordan and it parts just like it had for the old prophet. And he knows he's walking in this anointing. Elijah had seven notable miracles. We know that Elisha saw 13 in his lifetime and one that was posthumous, one that was after he died. The double portion. Now, we can't measure the double portion of a spirit. All we can do is look at the manifestation of them. So, Elijah had seven, Elisha had 14. And I've read this passage my entire life with wonder and amazement. And this past February, God began to ask me a specific question that changed my perspective. I'm just going to ask you what the Holy Ghost began to ask me. Why did he only ask for double? Why did he say, I want twice as much? Why not three times as much? Why not four times as much? Why did he put a quantity on it at all? Elijah and Elisha lived in a time under that old covenant where God's spirit was not dwelling in them, 
they would walk into the Spirit, and God would move in them, through them, but he never resided in them. And so in saying, I want a double portion, he was operating under the limited thinking of prophets of his time. We have venerated this so much. I'm not being disrespectful to what they did. It is a good request. But it was bounded by the agreement that God had made in that time. So let's just fast forward a little bit. Jesus is standing there saying, greater things than what I've done. Are you going gonna to do everything that I have done and greater works than these will you do? Well, what exactly did Jesus do? You turn to John 21, 25. John is summing up his entire gospel. He says, there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every single one, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that should be written. Not having the Spirit of God, Elisha had seven miracles. Elijah had seven miracles. Elisha had 13. Jesus had innumerable. What was the difference? Jesus was the first time that the presence of the living God dwelt in a human body. He was the game changer. And so he stands that day and says, everything that I did, you're going to do. And greater works. He does not say, and a double portion. The double portion was for the time and season that Elijah and Elisha walked through. But many of us still operate under that idea. That there is a quantifiable limit to what God will do through us. That is not what Jesus said. What he said was, see, Solomon and Elisha suffered from the same constraint. All they could do was look backward. All they could do was build on what had already been done. And Jesus comes as the game changer and says, now look at what I've done and do more. It's not going to be about a quantity. It's not going to be about you doubling the amount. It's going to be about whatever you can imagine. I can do more. Whatever faith you're willing to walk in, I can blow out away. Greater works shall they do. Who? Preachers? Pastors, missionaries? The reason that preachers and pastors and missionaries have access to greater works is because they are believers. He said, they that believe. He that believeth on me. The same works that I do. Not those who are, clinic, who are, who are theologically trained. If you have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Ghost working through you, you can do greater works than what Jesus did on this earth. Why? Because it's the same spirit that dwelt in Jesus that dwells in us. And so it's a matter of what am I willing to step out and do?
What do I have faith for? What dreams has God put in my heart? You would stand with me. Some of you have come to this point of your Christian walk. And God has spoken things over you and into you. And you have said, oh, that's just my own desire. That's just... I've never seen it done like that before. I'm not even sure that that's a ministry. Do you really think that God's done being creative about how he wants to save this world? I was talking to Pastor earlier about the fact that you have a a pastor, a a campus pastor for your online community. That's a visionary thing. That's leveraging something that Jesus never had access to. That's a greater work. Greater works than these shall ye do. You're doing it. Your church is doing it on a corporate level, and I'm here to ask you, what's he doing in you on an individual level? What greater work is he empowering you to do? Is he asking you to step into Something that he may have never done in his flesh on this earth. He's not here to constrain us. He's here to release us. He's here to grow us. To take those dreams that he's already put in your heart and manifest them in your life. This area in the front has been dedicated to the pursuit of God, to the pursuit of everything that he has for you. And you can come here and ask for a double portion if that's what you want to settle for. But today, in this relationship with God, in this covenant agreement, we have access to whatever he wants to give us. Our vision under this covenant should be limitless. What dreams is he dreaming for you, for your family, for your community, for the people at your job that he wants to do through you? This altar area is open for the pursuit of God. And if you're satisfied with what you have right now, or if you're satisfied with a double portion, stay where you are. But if what you really want is for God to blow your mind and take you places that you've never even dreamed of yet, this is your place of pursuit so that you can reach out to God and invite him to dream through you for this world and this community in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Let's come together. Let's come together all over the building. Go ahead. Let's come together. All over. Let's come together. Bring your needs before the Lord. I feel like the Lord is speaking to some hearts right now. Some of you, the Lord is calling you. You've struggled and tried to figure it out on your own, but the Lord is here to meet the need. That's it, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah.